begin. Welcome to Young Minds, a masterclass with young change makers powered by the Smart Class. The Smart Class series will take you on a short journey on a short journey of introducing you to creative young change makers from different parts of the world. In this masterclass, innovative topics, informative content and progressive initiatives are being shared with you. We remain hopeful that the session over 5 days will inspire you to take your school community to new directions of development. I'm sure you enjoyed the session yesterday and today we enter into day 2. My name is Charles Clarence and I'm the principal of Dr. MPS World School and I love to learn especially from young minds. Before we begin today's session, I request all our audiences to immerse themselves in the session and hold their questions which will be addressed right after both sessions. Today's speaker is Shardhe and I just welcome you to this place and Shardhe is a 17 year old fellow of the Royal Asiatic Society of London and author art and culture columnist and podcaster he is the recipient of the Rashtriya Bal Shakti Puraskar the nation's highest honor for civilians under 18 and he has been presented with the honorary colonelry of the commonwealth of kentucky bestowed upon him by the governor andy bisher for his contribution to the revitalization and popularization of indian art culture and heritage his his upcoming work based on mughal india will be out with rupa publications his topic today is our scientism and theism two incompatible ways to know about the world around us i welcome you shohard uh, shohard dear and i hope you have a wonderful time with us god bless you and welcome the floor is all yours thank you so much um sir uh i would like to uh, yeah yeah okay i can i can see the ppt here um yeah good evening and thank you very much for having me here to speak at the episode even organized jointly with the smart club initiative today and thank you for such a warm introduction so this here is the first slide that's been brought up now to be very honest uh, the the question that put up here as in why do you see the world the way we do um has pretty much to do everything about philosophy about psychology and what i call a thought and the fight from so so if you can just move to the next slide please all right thank you so much for that um here again is uh, is is a brief introduction of who i am and what i do and why i do what i do but uh, what this intro doesn't cover is is that i'm a great pro student right now and i'm passionate about stuff that generally you know entails unearthing new perspectives um or dimensions of what we think we know and to carry out an introspection in in that respect for for this is a short talk of 20 minutes to props i won't go on ranting about myself and my complexes i think i've been um you know highlighted uh in in this uh, considerably uh, short biography but to just move forward um can you just move to slide number 3 please yeah so all right we'll talk about the big questions i have here in in mind now now to kick off what makes us think and and, and you know believe Now this talk would be a part of the research I've undertaken on these topics from my upcoming column with with the Sunday Guardian. So I use a, a lot of scholarly terminology, uh, maybe, but of course, simplify that as and when um, you know doing so is um, necessary. Now, after the formation of the world, and of course, the advent of the earliest uh, members of the um, taxonomic you know hominid group, which the humans are a part 
occurrences of natural world need an explanation they need an explanation for that was crucial to survive to grow and to develop now this in turn is what i think gave rise to the so-called called hop process for humans tend to think not because they they do have to that is not compulsory that's not mandatory on their part but rather because they try to formulate understanding about the world and how they could possibly you know um make themselves more congenial to the ambience that builds them uh so i just want to quote uh, a scholar over here the psychologist called Steve Handel uh, who's also self improvement coach who wrote uh i i thought the purpose of thinking is to understand our world as best as possible our minds have evolved um to think so that we can better adapt to our world and make smarter decisions on how to survive live and flourish says um Steve Handel who i talked about earlier is a psychologist and a self improvement coach uh, in the article for the emotion machine Now with the thinking caps on the coming to in a question number 2 as well since I'll be covering all these four questions in a single description I think uh with their thinking caps on our ancestors you know they embarked on this adventure to provide explanations and build up theories about the world and and why things occur the way they do the the hypothesis that uh, they they brought forward of course are not as much developed as the philosophies that are here today but they did contribute much in you know laying down the foundational slabs for the um within quotation faith process and the religious orders to follow now what i say the faith process is that what comes into play after what i term the thought process is concluded and a particular community has various explanations to choose from and then to adhere by Uh, a distinctive characteristic trait of the human being or the human mind especially again is that you know he or she or whatever the case might be would adhere himself or herself that one particular idea um you know that will look more appealing to him or her than the other now uh you know in 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 the in the third question i asked what were the criteria for a certain community to accept an ideal um you know so given right to that's the most important part i guess because what is important to understand here is that the person in question you know during the ancient period would not out of blind belief or reverence align himself the philosophical way put forward by his fellow community member but would do so um after a detailed study and of course analysis of how the theory has been brought forward fits into what he needs to learn about the environment and if what comes as a result they both provide him with a satisfactory explanation of uh, how things work uh, of course the phenomena or you know the incidents that he he has up in his mind so human uh, this sentence I, i have you know formulated by nature is curious and he is in a, in a dire need of answers he would align himself to that particular theory put forward only when that would provide him with answers he so strive for So this what i call the hit and trial method is chemistry uh, is it determined chemistry actually um so so man follows this hit and trial method to to determine his appearance and this is in turn the creative process that both the member staff to verify the theory and the theorist who's in charge of development go through while formulating or testing the perspective a uh, respective ideal and why there uh, you know exists a detailed um, neuroscientific perspective on how and why the brain works the way it does during the creative process that's um to look at it that that way uh coming to question number 4 about the subjectivity of um philosophical thought i think philosophical stances to develop are you know a byproduct of man's inquiry into nature 
So it was after these standpoints had been affirmed, as I said earlier, you know, tested and then proven logically through rational debates and accepted uh, that the philosophers or the thinkers who first talked about or preached about, you know, um, this, this particular way of life as they saw it, came to be regarded as prophets. When the philosophical senses talked about something supernatural and when they preached as gospel meant to guide those that believe. So in the numerous communities, um, community here entails groups of people who shared the similar outlook about the natural world that eventually came to be formed as such. There were certain reasonings for belief that the believers had to answer to themselves. That's very important, you know, because you're always asking questions about natural phenomena you see happening around yourself and then you're finding answers to everything. Now, this short certain modified extract from my independent research answers the first four questions foils over here quite successfully. Now, to, to provide the decisive slant to, to, the, to the fourth question here, um, that belief is subjective is true because, you know, when you're talking about um, various epistemic communities that exist, well, uh, it is not so uh, for sure when you have a particular belief that the uh, entire community adhere by. But, but talking about the last big question, just a clarification here, but big questions, um, I, I most certainly mean that uh, 20 minutes might not be enough to answer all of them in, in a detailed manner, but I'm trying my best to do so and I hopefully be able to do so. So, so what is the biggest difference between the scientific way and the theistic one? People would say, you know, that the rational method, that uh, the rational approach that science has, the, the fundamentalism, um, you know, the, the evolutionary trait, and of course naturalism, and, and not mystic spirituality that is uh, talked about in, in a theistic community. Now, I'll answer this very, very briefly, but uh, for a theistic way of life, to, you know, uh, hold a non-fundamentalist, evolutionary, and uh, naturalistic, which generally entails being a bridge between the human and what we say the divine outlook, it might not have been given rise to from the words of prophets or one father figure as such, but rather be what is, you know, quoting a line from one of my earlier columns entitled God Parabrahman and the Hindu Hinotism published in the Sunday Guardian, um, an ever-evolving, I, I quote myself, an ever-evolving self-sowing seed with newer dimensions of the religious order, ever opening up to sectarian adherence that follow. I, I, I am quote. Now, if this so rational scientific way, the scholars say, you know, the evolutionary advocates the shift of thesis principle and, and tends to have a naturalistic outlook of the world around us. Hinduism, I am discussing a theistic way of life here, um, and the religion to which my quote above points to, because I just use that quote, is in no way less scientific. But moving on from uh, divine and supernatural, um, can you just proceed to the next slide, please? Okay, so this is the most important question uh, here in this talk, because it's all about future school leaders. So the question here is how can schools inculcate originality of thought among Gen Z students of today? Now, so yeah, this is the concluding question and the part which has been left out as of yet, but which I uh, think is very relevant to the modern school, uh, modern day, you know, school requirements, or rather, you know, I should say, something that schools need to inculcate within, within children. So, uh, now, now what I mean here is basically not just reading and mugging of text, but rather going into critical analysis of the same to bring about an independent conclusion and form um, an opinion as such pertaining to, to the text in question. Uh, can you move to the next slide please? I have all the pointers over there. Yeah, this is my last slide I guess, and here I have some pointers. For example, you can see, you know, to not set strict deadlines and instead be open so as to allow procrastination to, to a certain extent. Now people would ask me, well, um, 
uh, you know, procrastination is actually not a very good thing. But I would say, well, when you're you know, something, giving something to a person, uh, he or she needs time to adapt themselves to changes. And when you're talking about original or independent resource, it actually takes time. So here are the points, you know, I um, mean, the pointers I have here are considered to be supercurricular when it comes to academics. Um, by supercurricular, I refer to activities like projects, analytic reading, fun learning activities for interactions, or online virtual student exchange programs, maybe, during this pandemic, informative lessons in the form of videos and, and things earlier on the young mind. Um, you know, setting up labs in the likes of the Atoll Tinkering Labs throughout the country under the AGs of the Atoll Innovation Mission, NITI-IO, Government of India, through, uh, you know, with which schools can very easily collaborate. Um, and also creative lessons, such as the ones Namia Joshi, a, a sister of mine, uh, you know, and the Baltimore recipient as well, developed through Minecraft. Uh, I think Namia is here to talk about this in, in the official event in the coming days, maybe. Uh, yeah, so you know, um, events like debates and clubs that foster inclusivity uh, do, do also help students as well to, to understand the ground realities and apply knowledge wherever necessary. So these are only some of the points I think are necessary to inoculate interest among the young minds. Of course, I'm not an educator or, or, or someone who's carrying out ideations um, in education, but these are, you know, certain suggestions that I think as a student might be of help to fellow students as well. Uh, so yeah, that's all about it, I guess. And the last question wasn't related to philosophy in any way, but since the basic aim, philosophy profound, is foster, um, you know, originality of thought, I felt this was necessary to be included in, in, in this talk. Uh, just a quote again, you know, let a hundred flowers bloom, said Mao Zedong of uh, China. We, we do know the consequences of befail upon him, but well, I rarely believe that an independent mind, uh, not suppressed or, you know, subjugated by an authoritarian superior, does actually do wonders. So, yeah, that's all. Um, thank you very much. I guess my 20 minutes are up. And that that was really wonderful and enlightening. I don't think the your time was really up, but you you can spend a couple of minutes more if you'd like to, and maybe you can talk about the original thinking that we're talking about. How do we enhance students to think originally? Because that's what you're asking us to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Can I just uh, move to the previous slide, please? Hmm. Thank you so much. So well, uh, as you can see here, I have set certain, you know, very uh, generic pointers. The first among these is, as I said earlier, you know, to be open to allow procrastination. For example, when schools uh, generally give, you know, projects or, or, or assignments to students, the basic thing what most students do is just, you know, search up uh, Google maybe and, and find certain generic points to bring that uh, down on paper. But what I think is more important for schools is to, uh, you know, talk of, uh, teach the students to, to go for websites, I mean, to, to go for uh, searching, you know, uh, different sites like Google Scholar as well, that, is, uh, that has, you know, various academic records and to go through books and not just, for example, I just uh, give you a short, you know, um, instance of what I mean. For example, if you talk about quotations, uh, what students very often do is that they just uh, copy, you know, and, and, and paste certain quotations by, by great men or great personalities or uh, in, into their project work and then just say, okay, this is what I found after my research. But that is just a quotation you brought about, right? So anybody today can bring about quotations from Google. You just have to search certain keywords for that, I guess. But what I mean by saying originality of thought is that even after you put the quotation, teachers 
should enhance on uh, you know on this particular point they should be stressing on this particular point that uh, even after you have the quotation up you should be trying to analyze it in your own life you know and and and, and seeing that from your own perspective just putting that on paper what you understand about the quotation for example uh, uh, let's talk about a quotation you know maybe uh, a quotation from econometry econometry is basically a, a, um, a deepened level of study and understanding in the topic of economics but what i think is more important here is that even after the student tries to bring about a short introduction maybe through quotation of what econometry actually is um he or she can try to show how his or her own ideas even that might not be true that is what i call the heat and trial method so you are just trying to experiment right it's, it's the age of experimentation so you might be wrong and teachers are here to guide you like it's not necessarily that you you uh, you're always you know uh, going on the right track so what i mean here is this actually helps in cultivating originality of thought because uh, as i as i say in my second point when you encourage you know unique interpretations of text and also the habit of questioning this actually um, helps students in the in the in the long run um i have a question here from vasala singh how do we influence the mindset in order to mold or shift it to progressive and learning mindset mindset noticeable change as a result of some years of conditioning i think uh, so hard there we'll take the questions a bit later all right at the end of the session right oh okay so okay sure start. Yeah. Sure, sure. So I, I just continue. Yeah. Yeah. So w- what I meant by you know questioning is because when when students, uh, for example, in in my school, I'm I'm a, I'm a student as well. So I've often seen you know uh, students blindly following what the teachers have to say in class. Maybe that's not the right way to go about it. Maybe the right approach is when you ask questions because at the end of the day, asking questions are all that matter. So this is where you get to form your own uh, you know. sort of uh, independent opinions on the subject being discussed in class for example even though you know in in history which is my favorite topic i guess after philosophy um in, in history you have lots of documents and materials you know that are already existing the historical record now pe- people would often say that well you can't just form your own independent conclusions when you have certain historical records in front of you but what i think is m- much more important is you know you can you can if you want to analyze those particular historical records in a different light that has not been done before that's what the ICHR is doing the ICHR is the um, Indian Council for Historical Research they're actually trying to um inoculate this mindset of uh you know researching uh you know and, and deepening your research into unexplored topics or dimensions of history that we very often try to negate so this is what i think is very important for this purpose uh, another thing that's really crucial is to uh, you know give a wide exposure to students through the uh, you know things like uh, students exchange programs maybe or you know collaborations with schools uh, abroad as well for example uh, i was there at a session last week and we had certain school students uh, from grade 7 uh, or 8 and they were actually pretty enthusiastic to tell me that they had uh, you know Uh, uh, made PowerPoint presentations that were shown in schools in the United States and the UK, and uh, that the, the the students in those classrooms who saw the presentation were of their age actually sent feedback for the same to help them foster their um, you know learning capabilities, which I think is very important because when students get interact with students, that actually you know builds what we call a learning community because at the end of the day, it's the global community that we belong to, and not necessarily just limit ourselves you know to particular area or to a particular um class or school or whatever that be 
Now, uh, yeah, so what is also more important is for schools to, um, just a minute. Yeah, so what is also more important for schools is to, you know, allow flexibility of thought. For example, each student might form a different, unique confusion of particular analysis. I mean, that is what analysis is all about, right? Not everything is based on text and the curriculum. Like extracurricular, what I should also call, you know, supercurricular in this context also, you know, um, talks about using, uh, giving a special space to library for research because students very often uh, do not tend to go into library, you know, because everyone is just reading school texts these days and, and, and uh, the, the other, you know, when, when they're free, they're going for social media or maybe just talking about Google and YouTube and, and, and stuff like that, which I'm sure very often does not help because uh, you know, when you're talking about a particular life, I mean, for example, when I'm talking about philosophy today, I need to have a very deep insight into into the philosophical ways of life I'm talking about, because um, because if it's a, if, if if that doesn't you know um, if, if that is not what I'm doing, then uh, an introductory lesson is, is accessible to 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 um, you know the wide range of people that that come under um, the, the sun, so. Also, I think it's very important to set up, you know, learning activities that allow students to explore their creativity. What I mean, uh, what I mean by this is, I've, I've very often seen that there are at times, you know, when we feel, um, you know, bored in, in, in classes when when they are being taken in the conventional way. So what you can do is. Um, I'm sure this is already done in various schools, like bringing about guest lecturers or you know bringing about resource persons to schools that students may be able to interact with. Maybe, for example, such one particular student uh, who is very much passionate about going into fashion designing gets interact with the uh, directors of the uh, Indian Institute of Fashion Technology, uh, you know, through, through various events that is uh, sponsored or organized by the school. Then there can be TED talk shows in the school that talk about various, you know, motivational videos and stuff like that because these are things students very often like to ignore nowadays. It's just about social media, I think, and uh, you you can't ignore that, right? I mean, when you are in in, in the teenage group, you're very often attracted to what I call the social media. But still, I think it's very important to focus yourself on the various dimensions uh, that come under learning activities as well. Uh, I, I hope that was. Uh, that was fantastic and i'm sure we all enjoyed it there are a couple of questions that have already come in so please uh, i after the se- i mean after the second session we'll be opening the floor for two questions i welcome them you can please write them down in the chat box and uh, i think we were really enlightened thank you so much for uh, spending your time with us and giving us an awesome you know uh, and an awesome message about how to look at history and to look at the way we can do things in a better manner Thank you so much and God bless you. So 